It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz as we kick off the afternoon with the call. 60 minutes, 10 stocks that you've suggested we analyze and give an opinion on. I put them to uh, our expert panel all in the 60 minutes and I'm chucking a bonus stock, uh, a stock of the day that uh, is making a bit of news and I get the opinions, uh, the panel's opinion on that as well. Um, so Monday, kicking off a brand new week with Rob Corlett from, uh, from Macro. Rob, how are you, sir? Happy Monday. Welcome back to the call. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Yep, doing all right, mate. Uh, just trying to stay indoors, unlike uh, a lot of people on the weekend. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating, isn't it, for those in lockdown, the uh, uh, couple of thousand protesters causing a, a bit of havoc. But uh, let's not forget, 102,000 people got tested on Saturday, a record for this country. So it shows the vast majority of the country really wants to do the right thing. But you get a few few idiots, David Novak, don't you, from Wealthwise, who uh, just spoil it for everyone. Throw the book at them. Yep. Yeah, that's not wrong. That. It's, um, it's, I just heard a good analogy. When somebody passes away, you feel a lot of pain, you know, when, especially if they're close to you. But it's more so, it's also the similar when people do silly things and it impacts everybody else. You feel yeah. the same. Well, exactly right. Human nature. Someone posted on the weekend, no, just to show that we never change as, as human beings. Um, some front page uh, headlines of protests during the Spanish flu um, in Sid Sydney and Melbourne with uh, the popular, with uh, protesting against wearing masks, compulsory wearing of masks way back then in the Spanish flu. So we don't change, even though we think we're, uh, we're getting a bit more intelligent, we don't. Um, all right, let's uh, look at making some money and uh, analysing some stocks over the next 60 minutes or so. Uh, before we get into your 10 stocks you've asked us to have a look at, uh, I choose a stock of the day. And I uh, thought we'd take a look at Linus today. Uh, Linus Rare Earths, the company reporting a record fourth quarter for Rare Earths revenue this morning, driven by soaring demand for metals at mines. Uh, to be used in electric vehicles and smartphones. Uh, the world's largest producer of rare earths outside of China said revenue rose to 186 million Australian dollars in the three months to June 30 from 38 million Australian dollars a year earlier. Rob Corlett, this was uh, a pretty impressive update from Linus also. 
Absolutely. Yeah, look, um, they're, they're taking advantage of the uh, increased prices for rare earth metals, um, which is because of the um, uh, semiconductor shortage. We're seeing that in the semiconductor shortage as well uh, due to supply chain disruption. So it's all a uh, very favourable environment at the moment for them to work within. Um, so, yeah, it's just looking good for them. We're a little bit late to the party getting involved in Linus, unfortunately. We um, we probably uh, bought the weakness there around May, around that um, 15, 580 level. Um, so it's worked out well for us so far, but um, I'd, I'd look to try and pick it up on some more weakness. I think it's um, it, it looks to be well positioned in the short to medium term. Um, the electric, electric vehicle market uh, is going to be a huge consumer of rare earths. And uh, that sector is due to grow at about 80% uh, compound annual growth rate over the next five years. So, um, you know, liners have a lot of things working for them. Should just be noted, um, there's a lot of talk about rare earths and things like that. Uh, they're actually really common. Um, it's just that they're not really mined outside of China. Um, but Linus uh, is basically the only scale producer of rare earth metals outside of China. It's actually the second largest in the world, mm. if you include China. So uh, well positioned. So even, even though there's a lot in the world, it's mainly China, which makes Linus's deposit, David Novak, um, really strategic, isn't it, for, uh, for US defence forces and our defence forces too in the, in the usage of it? Yeah, very much so. Um, so, you know, I, I agree a lot with what Rob was saying. Uh, it is a bit late to the party, as he said. Um, you know, last year this stock got down to, would you believe, a dollar. Here we are looking at seven. Uh, towards seven now. Um, so the only issue for me is if you've got the stock, you'd definitely hold it. Um, I wouldn't be chasing it up here uh, because it's trading on an incredibly high multiple. I mean, their cash flows are improving, uh, obviously, and so is the rare earth material. Leverage price, I think, has doubled in the last year from $20 a kilo to 40 um, And you know, they operate about 75% capacity uh, from the, uh, the Malaysian plant. The problem is they had uh, some issues with water shortage, plus they're dealing with COVID, of course. You know, that's another thing they're keeping a close tab on. So they, they're operating at 75% of production for that for the previous quarter. Um, but again, it's the multiples up here. You know, the market cap of the company right now is about uh, 5.8 billion. They had 680 million in the bank. So, you know, you're, you're paying, there's an enterprise value around 5.1, 5.2 billion. And their net cash flow for the quarter was about 100 million positive, which was very good. But it's just the multiples, uh, you know, yes, they've got some good outlook growth, except it's just a bit too pricey for me. But certainly if you've got it and if you're a technical trader, you, you could buy it because it's breaking to a new high. But it's just too, too rich in price for me. There's, there's better right. opportunities. Yeah. Um, Rob, what was your view? Obviously, hold it and you'll hold it because you've you, got it uh, in May, would you, would you be buying in at these levels? Um, not where it is today after the announcement. Um, I'd look for some kind of consolidation, hopefully a pullback. Uh, yeah. And then look, I'd be okay to pick some up, but only in a very small amount. So it wouldn't be a, a full allocation. Um, to what David was saying, the current P ratio on this is 413. So you're definitely paying up for the stock at the moment. Um, you're looking for those um, revenues to continue to uh, come through and for, for um, the margins to stay uh, quite fat and juicy. Um, at the moment, they're on about 19.9% um, EBITDA margins. But yeah, 413 times price earnings multiple compared to their peer group, which is at 19, you, right. you're definitely paying right. up for it. Okay. <laughs> yep, it's, uh, it's shooting the lights out at the moment. 
All right, let's get on to uh, the stocks you want us to uh, have a look at. And Matt wants a view, David, on Grange Resources. Uh, Matt says, massive quarterly report just released, making around $160 million before tax for the quarter. Uh, current pellet price, $313 US a tonne, ridiculously high margins right now, and holding over $500 million cash and receivables. Of course, it uh, uh, operates a big iron ore mining and, and pellet production uh, business in, uh, in Tasmania. Um, what do you reckon of Grange? Well, I've got to make a declaration here, uh, David, is that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a shareholder in the company. I've been a shareholder for many years and I've been buying progressively as well. And so I'll just come off the bat and tell you that. Um, so the views I'm going to give you are certainly positive. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a shareholder. Yeah. Um, the company, I mean, look, the premium prices they're getting on their pellets, uh, you know, $373 for the quarter was outstanding Australian dollars. And their cost of production went down, cash costs, I should say, down to $90. So they're making almost 300% margin. Um, they, their, their bank balance went up by nearly $200 million from the previous quarter. Now, just put in comparison to Linus, okay? Okay, it's not sexy. It's not like in the rare earths or lithium space. But if you look at valuation, there, I, I, I would beg to find anything or offer anybody offer me a stock that's cheaper on conventional valuation than this company because if you look at the market cap it's around 950 960 million at 83 cents so we just looked at linus which is you know 5200 million or 5.2 billion if you like they've just made two and grange just made 200 almost 200 million in the quarter now how sustainable is the iron ore price that's the big question going forward but they also you know had 412 416 million dollars in the bank so you know, you're looking at an enterprise value, which is ridiculous, around 550 million on a 200 million uh, profit margin for the quarter. So uh, they also pay a dividend. So the, uh, their dividends going up. They, their policy right now is paying 25% on their net profit or net cash flow. So that will definitely be going up when they report their half yearly report next month. So, you know, currently it's on a yield of about three to 4% fully frank. That'll be five to 6% easy. I wow. see for, for this year, if not higher. So, look, I could say a lot more about the company, but I'll just stop it there. It's a buy, uh, you know, on yep. value. It's Okay, a buy it. at these levels as well. I had a good run, but more to come. All right, no, Rob. Uh, look, Koshi, can I just say, after reading uh, Matt's comments, I wasn't sure if he was actually just an enthusiastic shareholder or maybe he was actually head of Grange's uh, investor relations. <laughs> um, very, very positive comments there. Um, look, to back up what David was saying, um, look, the yield at the moment is about 3.6% uh, on a, a dividend payout ratio of about 17. So if they do indeed intend to uh, try and keep it around 25%, and given the extra revenue that's come in, you would expect a significant uptick in that dividend. Uh, their price earnings multiple is very cheap compared to their peers. We're about just under five times multiple. Uh, their peer group's about 18. So there, there's good um, you know, value there. And uh, their EBIT margin at the moment is at uh, 54%. It's a huge margin, the, the type of business you want to get uh, exposed to. Um, what I would just say is um, if we just take, um, you know, Matt's comments and break it down. Um, so he's saying that there was, in the third quarter announcement, there was cash and liquid investments of uh, $416 million, uh, which I'm assuming uh, is 
their definition of cash and cash equivalents, which is how it's normally uh, written. Um, it also showed that there were receivables of 83 million. Now, um, a few things to consider. Um, the reason why you count receivables as receivables and not cash is because it hasn't become cash yet and may never become cash yet. Um, look, I'd like, from what David said, to um, assume that um, you know these uh, creditors will, will pay them the money they're owed. You assume they will. But that's why you don't actually count it as cash. Also, they didn't mention anything about um, trade payables or anything like that. So, um, David, hopefully you know better than I on this one, mate. I'm not sure. Do they owe money out to, to people that they've used their service for? Um, you know, the fact that their uh, trade receivables have increased by 10 million, Q on Q, um, is in theory a good thing. But maybe it, it highlights the fact that they haven't been able to, um, you know, get the money out of their uh, third parties on, on a timely basis. Um, so, really, for mine, I'd like to see them start reporting using the, the standard Appendix B format of where you, you put down your cash mm -hmm. flows rather than their own kind of version of just you know, highlighting all the, all the positive things. That being said, um, look, the pellets that they produce uh, receive about a 30% premium to the um, standard iron ore price, the 62% iron ore price. I think that's where David was talking about the, uh, the fact that they're, um, in the June quarter, they were getting 287 bucks US compared to iron ore in that same price at 220. Yep. Um, they they mine uh, magnetite iron ore uh, as opposed to what we typically do here in Australia, which is a hematite iron ore. Now, globally, um, it's about a 50-50 split between the two, but in Australia, um, we've had a few uh, large mining operations kind of struggle with getting the magnetite iron ore um, you know, processes off the ground. I know Fortescue's looking to do a big project there, and by the looks of it, um, Grange Resources have actually um, been successful in uh, producing these pellets, which give them the nice fat premium. Um, look, as far as what David mentioned about the um, uh, iron ore price, is it going to hold here? I think it will. Um, I think that we've, we've just gone through the the low point for the seasonal um, prices of, of iron ore, and we haven't seen a significant drop off in those. Uh, also, we understand that uh, China's been digging into their inventories for iron ore as well. So um, it's not like they've got too many uh, arrows to fire in this war between uh, ourselves and, and them in trying to buy their iron ore from, from other places. So um, we could easily get involved in grain resources as well. We'd, we'd probably look to maybe buy a bit of a, a pullback. There seems to be a short-term technical indicator at the moment suggesting maybe we get some weakness. Uh, around 60 cents, I'd be very comfortable to step in and buy it. Uh, and obviously, if you're holding it, you just continue to do so. Yep. Okay. All right. Um... Let's get on to uh, our second stock. Rob Jake uh, wants a view on on New Farm. Basically, uh, how do you describe New Farm? A seed bank. Would new for farmers, that, uh, particularly in that canola, sorghum, sunflower area, they sell um, seeds and crop protection uh, against weeds and pests and disease. Uh, an ag business, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Asia, and the Americas. Yeah, that's right. It's um, protecting your crops, uh, which means that um, they're subject to weather conditions in various parts of the globe. Um, so what we're seeing is um, in you know, Europe and, and Australia, Asia regions, we're seeing improved seasonal uh, conditions, higher levels of rainfall forecasts, which should um, give us larger yields uh, on crops from uh, August 
and beyond. Uh, and that should mean that there'll be an increase in demand for the products that they sell. That being said, uh, we are seeing extremely dry conditions coming out of North America, uh, and therefore um, they'll potentially show a decrease in crops and therefore a decrease in demand for the um, new farm products. So um, just be a little bit careful about um, stepping into these guys at, at these levels as well. Uh, right now, we'd probably say that they're um, at best a hold, uh, potential light and really if you get the opportunity. Uh, we've got some uh, target prices on the stock. Um, you'll notice on that previous chart you guys just showed, it had a significant rally um, higher and this is a pullback. The pullback doesn't look like it's quite finished to us. Uh, we can see continued weakness down to maybe $4.10, which would be a 68% retracement uh, based on Fibonacci. So all the technical guys out there will understand uh, what I'm talking about with that one. Okay. All right, David, New Farm. Yeah, look, this has um, <clears throat> been a horrible performer in terms of the share price. I mean, if you look at where it was two years ago, 2018, it was uh, $9, just over $9. Here we are at half that price. But look, I, I'm uh, becoming more positive about this stock. I wouldn't be rushing to buy it right now because technically, technically it's not a buy. However, I mean, the farmers are restocking following, you know, the, in the wake of the pandemic and also the drought in Australia that we went through. So, so things are picking up. This is very much, you know, due to, you know, impacted by, you know, climate, of course, um, because there's so much leverage to a sustained rebound in the agricultural sector. But they've got, uh, what I do like about the company more so going forward is their blue sky earnings potential with their Omega-3 canola business. That seems to be uh, where there's going to be some good growth. And also in the North American market and Europe is also picking up. So, um, you know, also their, their revenues uh, with six months, well, for 31st of, I was just looking at the 31st of uh, March compared to the previous period, their revenues were up 20%. Um, the cash flow positive, so they had an operating profit um, before tax by the looks of 128 million. So you know they they are turning the corner here, um, but right now, like I said, I, I've got this on my watch list. I don't, I'm not adverse to it, but I'd I'd uh, not be rushing to buy it just yet. But I'd certainly keep a close eye on this going forward mm -hmm. and look at their report when they re release their half yearly. I think in September, of course. So have a look okay. at it. Uh, have another good look. All right, something to keep on the David, radar David, there. Just, um, um, David, sorry, sorry David, just before you move on, just uh, for your viewers there, mate, um, if you're looking for another alternative outside of uh, New Farm but still trying to stay within the same space, uh, we'd, we'd direct um, viewers to Elders, ELD, um, which has similar types of exposures, but it's all domestic, it's all Australian, and therefore you should be just getting the favourable weather conditions moving forward. Yeah, Elders, uh, someone... Um, described Elders to me as sort of like an agricultural listed investment company. Uh, it's got a bit of everything in agriculture from properties to seeds to real estate financing, the whole lot. Uh, but very good point to bring that up. Um, David, uh, Malia wants a view on uh, corporate travel management, the, uh, uh, the big travel agency that's, uh, of course, been battered like everything else in the travel industry. Yeah, um, look, the you know, results to date, as you can imagine, haven't been good. I mean, in fact, they've been loss-making, but they have started to turn the corner a little bit here, corporate travel. Um, 
you know, their revenues were up by the looks of it was, um, you know, post-COVID this around in North America, this is. Well, I wouldn't say post-COVID. They're having a, a new Delta outbreak there um, of the variant. So, uh, but their revenue in the in North America looks like the, they were up like 44% or thereabouts. Um, so they are getting traction in the UK, which is 70% of their businesses in the US and the UK. Um, there's about uh, 11 brokers cover this stock, so it's well, it's got some good coverage, but it's really, um, and they, they've got a buy on it, but it's trading above the average broker price, which is around $20.90. That's the average price from 11 brokers, so it's a little bit pricey up here for my my liking. I wouldn't be chasing it. Um, I wouldn't be buying it. Uh, I'd, if I was looking at it, I'd be looking at lower levels, but at this stage with what's going on with the variant, uh, the COVID variant, I just wouldn't be uh, interested in this stock at the moment. I'd just be staying away from travel stocks, yeah. given what's going on. So, uh, you know, it just seems incredibly expensive on, on multiples mm. as well. So, but they are leveraged to, you know, a recovery, obviously. Um, so, you know, whenever you know, keep that it on is. your watch list. Yeah, yeah whenever that is. Yeah. Uh, Rob? Yeah, look, um, it's not the name we would be suggesting for clients to move into if they're wanting exposure to the uh, travel industry uh, for a long time we've maintained that uh, webjet would be our preferred name uh, one of the things that we flag as a potential problem for um, ctd moving forward is uh, management's forecast of vaccination rates uh, in particular through the US and um, Europe, uh, you know, 52% of their revenue comes from North America and another 20% from Europe. Uh, basically, management came out and said that they believe that um, somewhere around uh, June that there would be 70% of the US population would be vaccinated uh, and by about early July, be 78% of all um, adults would be vaccinated. Uh, from the latest data that I was able to get, it showed that only 49% of uh, the population in the US are actually fully vaccinated and only 59% of um, people aged 18 years and older in the US have had um, you know, at least one of the two doses and, and would therefore be classified as fully vaccinated. So that's a long way behind management's projections uh, and therefore you'd have to um, assume that potentially um, they're going to miss uh, guidance on that one. So just be really careful about that. Um, in addition to that, um, you know, the UK, uh, we've currently got, you know, 75% of people aged 40 years or over have received at least one uh, vaccine dose uh, and 60% of the rest of the population have received one vaccine dose, which again falls short of management's um, expectations of effectively having um, total saturation of uh, vaccine rollout over in the UK. Um, one final thing to say on it is, is there's effectively no yield on it, uh, so don't be buying for yield. It's coming out at like less than 1%. So for us at the moment, um, not our preferred space to be in. Prefer people go to Webjet. If you're in it, you, you could continue holding it. Uh, there's a few technical things that uh, we're waiting for that make it nearly a buy for us, uh, but yeah, not the preferred uh, exposure. Okay. All right, let's go from uh, travel to telcos. And Rob Josie wants a view on, on Superloop. Um, this is uh, a group that basically lays out tele fiber optic telecommunications infrastructure um, throughout uh, Australia, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Recently raised almost $80 million through uh, a placement to institutional investors to buy. Um, 
uh, Exitel, um, an internet service provider for $110 million. Um, what do you think of Superloop? Um, so that, that acquisition of Exitel looks very positive uh, from our perspective. Um, you know, the 110 mil was 100 in cash and uh, 10K in shares at uh, $1.01. Uh, the inside placement was about 49%. The retail offering was the balance for that 100 million. Uh, it was done as an entitlement issue of one for every 6.67 shares at a price of 93 cents. So that was a discount of about 10% to the last price and about 8% uh, discount to the theoretical X-Rise price. So that looked um, pretty good to us. Uh, they're flagging cost synergies of about $5 million over the first 12 months. Um, and we're looking for uh, earnings per share accretiveness of about 50%. Revenue should tick up by about 150 million. Uh, so there's a number of really good things to come out of that acquisition, uh, as well as also increasing their debt to equity ratio from uh, a rather you know, dangerous 2.8 times uh, down to a more reasonable 1.4 times. So there's good things there. Um, with, with a lot of these things, though, you, you do want to be looking at the uh, management team. And uh, these guys actually have quite a good uh, management team. Paul, Paul Tyler, who's the chief executive officer, uh, he joined about a year ago uh, and was most recently the CEO of uh, NBN Co. Um, oh, yeah. I kind of wish he was still there, to be honest with you, because it took me about three and a half months to get um, NBN turned on at my house here. Um, you know, I only got it last weekend. So maybe if he was there, I, I would have got it a bit sooner. Right. Um, Look, Bevan Slattery, uh, he's really important to note that he was the founder of NextDC, uh, which has already got a $6 billion market cap and is Australia's largest uh, data centre provider. He was also a co-founder of Pipe Networks. Now, this was sold back in uh, May 2010 to TPG for about $420 million. So they've definitely got uh, a track record of success in this field. Um, and so, um, you know, for, for those things there, um, you know, I think if you're in the stock, you, you could be comfortable um, holding on to it uh, for a little bit longer. Would you would you buy at these levels? No, look, probably right. wouldn't be getting involved just yet in these levels. Um, there's potential uh, weakness coming through um, right. with the NBN price expected to decrease. Um, yeah. Look, we'd actually prefer... Uh, Unity Group, uh, UWL, uh, which is also a low-cost and high-speed alternative to the MBN, uh, and potentially even Telstra, which is obviously doing the uh, divestment and, and is well-positioned for the 5G okay. rollout. All right, David, Superloop? Uh, yeah, look, uh, not for my money. Uh, Rob covered it pretty well there. I mean, look, there it is um, this acquisition of Exitel is uh, earnings accretive. I mean, it's going from Exitel's revenue, $150 million with the joint um, combined Group will be 261 million combined uh, earnings before interest tax depreciation will be 34 million. So that's 10 times earnings EBIT. However, you know, with their that's pre synergies, post synergies, it's even lower, 6.9. So it's, you know, reasonable value. Um, uh, but they've confirmed that this year the guidance of their range for um, uh, when they report next month is going to be between 18, 18 and a half million. Um, so Look, um, it does look positive going forward. I'm with Rob on this one. I'm, I'm not a buyer of it. I keep it on the uh, the watch list. Uh, there are about four brokers out there. One hold, three buys. The average price target. Uh, now I don't know if this was before um, the acquisition or post, but as a dollar twenty is the average price target. So it's trading below that. But it's also trading below the rights issue price. And by the way, thirty only thirty percent of shareholders 
took up the issue yeah. at 93 cents, which is trading below that price now. So it's fully underwritten. Um, so you can, you know, the, the broker or, or the underwriters, they'll certainly look at some stage to offload their stock, I imagine. Um, so that's another negative right now, short term negative. But look, just keep an eye, watch on it. Whenever. Okay. All right. Uh, Ryan wants a view, David, on Parenti Global. Now, Ryan says, uh, I've held this stock for a few years now. It just seems to consistently be heading down. Um, even when they're winning more and more contracts, the company seems very undervalued to me. What am I missing? It's a mining services group, operates in Australia and Africa. Share price uh, down 33% for the 12 months um, and uh, 44% for uh, since uh, its trading update in May. Although it's recently uh, announced a deal with uh, a contract with nickel producer Panoramic Resources. Um, what do you think of printing? Yeah, look, I, I, um, I agree that it does look uh, undervalued here. I mean, look, their earnings haven't been shooting the lights out in the past. If um, the, the viewer wants to read the, the May update from the 13th of May by the CEO, uh, what, what's been um, of concern is the costs, uh, being wage costs have been going up, getting employees in and out, uh, the COVID, um, managing that during the COVID situation as well. So there's a in the whole sector. In fact, um, with the mining services sector, um, they're, they're experiencing some uplifting costs, which obviously will decrease their margins. Uh, look, I don't mind Parenti down here at all. Um, I, my preference in the sector would be NWH or NRW Holdings. Uh, NWH for me is more diversified. It's got um, you know bigger uh, contracts, and it's just just more diversified out there with in with drilling and infrastructure projects mm, as well okay. and their technology. So um, I wouldn't be a buyer. Well, I wouldn't be adverse to buying it actually uh, down here because the trend has just turned around actually. So actually I would I would be happy to, to buy it. It's got a good yield too if, if, if they maintain that. So I'm a, a light buy on this one. If a light buyer? Uh, okay, Rob? Yeah, um, okay. So this is what makes up a market, I guess. Um, we, we wouldn't be a buyer at the moment. Um, look, do acknowledge the fact they've got a really good yield, um, paying about 7.6%. Um, however, the red flag for us is their dividend payout ratio is over 200%. So um, they're either going to need to see a massive increase in revenue moving forward, or that dividend won't be sustainable and will need to um, peel off a bit. Um, what thought we might take a quick moment, David, just to chat about um, Ryan's uh, general position here of being a long-term investor. Um, look, I, I try and educate my clients to say, look, there are some basic principles of long-term investing. Uh, and one of the, the most basic to follow is, look, if the stock's trading underneath that 200-day um, moving average, uh, you know it hasn't got the support of institutional investors. So even if you like it long-term, uh, you need other people to like it as well. Otherwise, the share price will just drift lower. As we've seen there, um, you know, the stock's been going down for quite some time. Had Ryan stuck to those basics, he would have actually sold um, this out back in December 2019. It was around about $1.65 when it broke through the 200-day moving average. Um, he would have bought back in November last year um, at around $1.30 and then got another signal to get out at about $1.20. So, um, all up, you know, he'd probably be effectively having sold that stock out at $1.55. Uh, with the stock now down at $0.92, cents, would have been a huge saving. 
as well as the fact that his funds would have only been tied up for the four months between November uh, 2020 through to February 2021. So, um, you know, it's okay to be classifying yourself as a long-term investor. That doesn't mean you should just put everything in the bottom drawer and never look at um, exiting that stock. There are times where the market kind of screams at you saying, look, nobody else likes it. Um, And I get the whole Warren Buffett mentality of let's buy what other people don't like. But at the same time, there has to be some catalyst that's going to come out yeah. and change people's minds on it. So um, okay. that would that would be a, a quick overview on long-term investing. Um, as far as his question as to why is the, the company not going up when it makes all these contract wins, um, they're facing margin squeezes. Um, and so whilst they're getting the extra contract wins, their margins are under pressure. And so, um, you know, that, that's probably why. Um, yeah, look, we, we couldn't uh, touch it at this point in time. Uh, the upside looks like there might be a bit of a bounce. As David said, you know, if you're a short-term trader, there might be some opportunity here. Um, you know, the stock's now at 92. Uh, we look like there probably will be a, a rally up to that gap close at 97 cents. Uh, however, there's additional horizontal uh, and significant uh, number resistance at a dollar and also at the 200-day moving average at $1.10. So if you're looking to find some short-term um, you know, trading, then maybe this is it uh, with a buy here at 92 and, and hoping it might get as high as a dollar or a $1.10. But if you're a long-term investor here, we'd actually wait for uh, the reports to come out during uh, reporting season. Yeah. Wait till the market shows that there are other people, including institutions, who are interested okay. in getting involved in the stock and probably pay over a dollar ten to be fair to get into the stock, but mm-hmm. then with a view that if you're in at a dollar ten, uh, there's a good chance it'll run, you know, at least back up to the dollar sixty-five and beyond, which is what you're looking for as a long-term yep, investor. Sure, that's a really good point. All right, let's recap the first five stocks. Stock of the day: Linus Resources, a hold from both Rob and David. Uh, Grange Resources, a buy from David. He's already invested in it. Uh, a hold from Rob, if it got down to around that 60 cent mark, he'd be interested. Uh, New Farm, a no from Rob uh, in that space, the agricultural space. Uh, he prefers elders. Um, it's a no from David as well, but as put on his, uh, on his watch list um, and would, would be interested in the future. Corporate travel, a no from David. Uh, Rob prefers Webjet. Uh, Superloop, a no from David, a hold from uh, Rob uh, in that space, though. His preference is Unity. And uh, Parenti, a, uh, a no from Rob, a light buy, light buy from David, uh, who also likes NRW. Um, here at the call, uh, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since July 1 last year, uh, thanks to our partner, NabTrade. All the stocks that get two thumbs up um, go into the calls portfolio. Uh, let's see how it's been going for the week. We're down half a percent uh, for month, up one and a half percent, and since the first of July last year, up almost thirty-seven percent. And uh, on year to date, since the first of July uh, this year, up just over one percent. Uh, some of the stocks recently added, Global Data, Centre Investment Fund, Strike Resources, Venturex Resources and uh, Galaxy, uh, along with Flight Centre. Some of the stocks removed, Evolution Mining, Premium and McMahon. If you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to Ausbiz 
Co forward slash portfolio. Let's move on to our sixth stock. And um, David Sean wants a view on Blue Bet uh, and asking, could it follow suit a run, make a run like Points Bet has done in similar circumstances? We'll be keen to hear the expert's opinion. Uh, Blue Bet only recently um, launched on uh, on the market, um, a listing uh, backed by um, by um, Sullo. Um, who uh, Michael Sullivan, the, the well-known bookmaker who ran Sporting Bet and William Hill for a number of years. This is the latest um, incarnation of uh, his sporting empire targeting the United States where uh, betting has become deregulated. Uh, David, what do you think of uh, Blue Bet? Uh, well, it's one for the punters, that's for sure. Yep. <laughs> I feel. I mean, look... <laughs> It's already had a great uh, rally here since the IPO uh, when it listed at the beginning of July. Uh, the IPO price was $1.14. Um, they issued about 80 million shares. Um, I think net cash they've got in the bank now is around 50 million. Uh, so it's double that, more than double that price since then. Uh, look, on a market cap of 450 odd million, I mean, you know, it's yet to prove itself, but they are expanding in, in the US like PointsBet and others. and. Um, you know, um, what's it called? Betmakers is another one. Um, look, I, I, the thing about this one, it, it's like the laws have changed in the US, so it's opening up to these, all these states are opening up now for online betting, and that's the exciting growth as part of the path way for these companies. But you're paying a premium right here. I mean, they've just got one state so far, they've um, signed up with Iowa, and they've got about five or six others in the pipeline, whereas points bets got, they're, they're, I think, already got about 13 or 15 states signed up. They've got 18 on target for next year. So, um, you know, they're, they're a bigger company. Of course, they've got a market cap of about 2.6 billion uh, points bet, but they're already, you know, showing revenue growth and they expect to, their goal is to have 10% of the market in each of those states. They've got a bit of competition in this area. Um, so look, like people love the story. Um, they're chasing it based on that. Uh, let's you know show me the money before I get involved in it. But hey, you know it's a trade. People love the story. They're buying it, and you know especially in yeah. this environment, people love the story. So, uh, but not for investment, as far as in, yeah. in my book. Okay, Ord Minute have started following it as well. Uh, Rob, what do you think of Bluebet? Yeah, uh, thanks. So, look, people who know me know that I, I love, um, you know, getting exposure at the moment into the U.S. gambling sector. Uh, you know, they, they really are experiencing a bit of a gold rush here with that um, deregulation. Um, look, one of the things that uh, my analyst team were, were pointing out to me about this that raised a few red flags with them was the um, the way in which they were chopping up the eighty million dollars that they received from the IPO. So uh, five million went to IPO fees, which is natural. Uh, five percent for technology and development. Ten percent to marketing, which obviously they'll probably need to put a lot more into that moving forward if they want to take on the likes of PointBet. Um, they have allocated thirty million for establishing the U.S. business and acquiring the initial license, which uh, Dave was talking about over in Iowa. Uh, and so that's positive. But then they've also got $30 million worth of proceeds to existing shareholders, uh, of which the founder and executive chairman, Michael Sullivan, uh, is, is a 42% owner of. So, um, you know, you've just got to just be careful like how that might be perceived of just paying. This is, this is your um, golden parachute, you know, so to speak. Um, look, that being said, 
I, I love this space that it operates in. Um, I've got a, a technical buy on points bet at the moment. I'm trying to get my uh, analyst team to uh, come up with something similar, of positive uh, on the fundamental side. Uh, but technically, it looks good for me for points bet. Too early to apply any technicals to um, uh, blue bet at the moment. Uh, but understand that uh, you know you are paying up for it even at these levels. Uh, the current price earnings model on this is about 82 times compared to the sector, which is about 32 times. So you're right. paying up for it. You're, you're paying up for their ability to expand into the US and gain market share. Um, the other, only other red flag we put up on this one is uh, currently they only have about one and a half percent of the market share here in Australia. Uh, and, and typically you would find that a company would um, try to solidify footprint domestically before moving overseas. I'm going to give them a bit of a pass on this one because of how um, rapidly expanding it is in the US at the moment and how it really is you want to try and get to be first to market or as you know as a second as soon as yeah. possible. So um, look, I'd, I'd be okay to hold them as a very speculative buy uh, and I would buy into them as a very speculative buy as well. Um, but if you're wanting something with a little bit more of a um, uh, confirmed uh, footprint, then, then points bet would be where okay. I'd look. All right. Uh, Dave wants a view on uh, the WAM Leaders Fund, um, uh, licensed, um, um, a listed investment company. Uh, Dave wants to know, I'd like a technical analyst on uh, the WAM Leaders uh, Fund. It sort of, it, it's, a, as I said, like listed investment company uh, looking at some of the larger businesses on the ASX. Uh, Rob, how does it look technically for you? Yeah, great. Look, um, I think he's uh, gotten quite lucky. Uh, you know, myself and David are very keen on technical analysis. Yep. In fact, if you want to get your way onto my Christmas card list, uh, just ask me some, some uh, technical analyst questions <laughs> and uh, yeah, you'll get there. Um, the first thing I'd say is that, um, you know, when you're looking at any stock that's had a significant uh, growth, you know, something more than 100%, you want to start applying a, a semi-log chart, which is where... Um, the scale isn't linear, it kind of um, is on percentage terms. So, um, you know, the distance from say two to four dollars uh, is the same as from uh, 20 to 40 dollars. Um, if you do that, all of a sudden things get a lot easier to analyze. You can start using your uh, straight edge trend lines again, as opposed to looking at something that looks like it's going up exponentially. But in actual fact, it may have just had very consistent growth at, say, 10% um, year on year or whatever other period they've got. So um, with that, uh, I'd say that right now, price is actually resting on the uptrend line of that semi-long chart. So it actually needs to rally from here to avoid a break in that trend. Um, now, look, if it does break, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a change in the direction of the trend. It just could mean that the rate of growth uh, will slow down a bit. Um, having said that, right now, you can see that um, since March this year, the stock's actually been in a trading range of between $1.56 and $1.43. Um, and so what that means is you actually get two price targets for the stock. You get one to the upside and you get one to the downside. So if prices break to the upside, price target would be $1.69, which is simply the range uh, added on top of the breakout of $1.56. Uh, and conversely, if the stock breaks to the downside, uh, your price target is about $1.30, which is $1.43 minus the $0.13 cent, uh, drop. Um, look, if you want to get a little bit more technical than that, um, I actually use um, 
Guppy's uh, Exponential Multiple Moving Averages, which is named after a famed Australian technical analyst called Daryl Guppy, uh, who, who lives and operates out of uh, Northern Territory, has written a number of uh, incredible mm. books on technical analysis, uh, including, um, I think it's uh, Trend Trading, uh, which is one of his first ones. So, and he's a guest speaker at a lot of technical uh, associations as well. Um, what those guppies are, are currently telling me is that they are compressed and not crossed over, which suggests that an uptrend could be imminent. Um, the fact that they did the uh, one for five non-renounceable rights issue uh, or a time issue at $1.44 um, means that maybe you're getting some um, you're churning through here of volume. But uh, yeah, at this stage, um, you know, we, we could be in, inclined to potentially uh, pick up the stock, but we'd probably wait for a breakout of that range okay. before we did so. All right. David, that was pretty yes, extensive. Uh, I know. I can see it's a passion of Rob's. <laughs> a passion of mine too. I, I mean, timing, I've learned in 35 years in the market's experience, timing is everything. Yep. So you can't ignore the technicals. Uh, look, it's not a buy for me in short. Um, look, they, they had a big drop there in the, at the end of May. Now, just what happened is they updated their monthly NTA, which dropped from about $1.99 to $1.91. So it's trading at a big, a pretty big discount, at least 10% to their NTA. Um, so that alone, I wouldn't buy. And secondly, uh, you know, we're talking about the moving averages, or Rob was talking about the 50-day, which I watch. The reason I put a light buy on Parentis is because it crossed above the daily 50-day moving average, but not the weekly, is the one that Rob's talking about. Whereas WAM has not crossed above the 50-day moving average, but it is above the weekly 50-day, just holding it right now. So um, it's not a buy. I use the daily for my entry. That's that's because it's a faster indicator, of course, and I look at the weekly, obviously, for the bigger picture. But for entries, I'm looking at the daily. So right now, technically, it's not a buy. And it's trading at a discount. I'd look at it at low, lower levels, but just because technically it's below the 50-day, I wouldn't buy it for that reason. Although, like I said, it's sitting right on the 50-day moving average, but it is trading at a discount to NTA as well. Okay. All right. Premium, not, not a discount, a premium, sorry. Yep, sure. Okay. All right, uh, Lachlan uh, wants a view, David, on Iron Gate, the, uh, the old Investec Australia property fund. Um, what do you think of Iron Gate? Uh, look, it's a steady uh, income earn. If you're just looking for a steady yield, unfranked around 6%, it's, it's good for that. It's not shooting the lights out in terms of growth. They are diversified in different states. Uh, most, of it, uh, most of their uh, property, from what I could see, was in Eastern Seaboard. They've got, you know, obviously in WA as well. But um, look, it's, it's uh, mostly industrial properties that they have by the looks of it. That's where they're most of their income, or at least two-thirds of their income looks like from the industrial. They've got quality tenants, so steady uh, growth. They, uh, their distribution is uh, 8.9 cents per share. So, you know, it's uh, for the half year. So, they're, look, they're, they're a steady uh, income, but they're not, um, look, their return on equity, it doesn't excite me at all. But, look, they raised some capital. They just bought a property, commercial property. They raised $50 million and bought um, property in Canberra. Commercial property, so they've got really good long-term government mm. and big, you know, large company leases. So from that point of view, if you're just looking for a, you know, an income, fine, uh, but it's not a buy for me. Okay. I'm, I'm not. I'm looking much more sure. than just income. Uh, Rob. 
Yeah, look, um, the dividend looks quite solid. The, the payout ratio is only 33% in generating that 6% yield. So uh, it's likely that the dividend will be maintained. Um, to what Dave was saying in the composition of uh, where their assets have held, um, you know, it's about 75% is along the eastern uh, seaboard. We've got 37% out of New South Wales, uh, 16 out of Victoria, uh, 13 out of Queensland and 10 out of ACT. So it's very much uh, heavily uh, exposed to, to the east coast. Um, they have a mix of uh, office properties and industrials. There's 12 uh, office properties and 20 industrials. Um, you know, we like the industrial play. Uh, and for that, we'd be directing clients to look at either a Goodman Group or a, a Century, a CIP as our preferred name. In fact, we're just in the process of doing a rotation out of uh, GMG and into CIP at the moment, um, just based on some technicals. Um, look, as far as the office space goes, um, you could be maybe getting well ahead of the curve here by getting that kind of exposure. Uh, it's not something that we would want to do. We want to make sure we see the uptick in the, in the office space before we get in. Um, just to give you a quick um, you know, heads up, our office has been closed now for over a month working from home. And uh, as a result, we had in our contract, we don't have to pay any rent. So, um, you know, there could be other um, REITs like um, the people mm -hmm. who run our building all of a sudden aren't actually receiving any income because yeah. um, you know, smart operators put it into their contract. They didn't have to pay due to COVID. Okay. All right. Uh, need to uh, move it along a bit. Jack wants a view where... Uh, Rob on IOOF, the uh, the big financial services group. Yeah, uh, so just quickly, look, we, we like the short terms on a technical play. We don't like the long term fundamentals. So um, it, it's not something that we would want to be um, getting involved in right here. Um, you know, we, we understand they've made that acquisition, the $1.4 billion acquisition of MLC Wealth from uh, NAB. Yep. Um, and it's now Australia's largest retail wealth manager. Um, however, there seems to be a lot of competition in this space from um, you know, the likes of um, you know, Hub24 and um, you know, Premium and, and a whole of other people. So uh, yeah, not something we'd want to be getting involved in at this stage. Okay. David, IOOF? Uh, look, it's a hold at best, uh, not a buy. Uh, it's not going anywhere, but let's see how... Uh, I'd have it on my watch list and see how this transition goes with the, the, the acquisition of MLC. I'd like to see how those numbers pan out. It's not overly expensive down here, and it's got a small dividend yield of 2.3% um, uh, unfranked. Uh, sorry, fully franked, I should say, sorry. Uh, but their forecast P is 18, which is a little bit high for me. So just uh, keep it on the watch list for now. Um, but I'd be interested to see how this merger uh, goes and um, going forward, their funds under management as well, inflows mm. and outflows. Okay. And our final stock, uh, David, Stephanie wants a view on AUB, the big uh, insurance broker network, uh, 94 businesses, uh, over a million policies uh, across more than 450 locations. This is an insurance broker roll-up model is a bit like Steadfast or, or Steadfast is the the biggest competitor in uh, in that sector. Yeah, this is not a buy for me. It's just trading a too high multiple. Look, their their forecast um, uh, EBIT is earnings is like sixty three, I think, to sixty five million. They've got a one point almost one point seven billion market cap, so they're trading on that multiple of 26, 27 times. It's pretty expensive in my view. In my book, anyway. Uh, look, it's been a great performer, um, but I wouldn't be, um, yeah, look, just based on, um, you know, they've got a, 
a small dividend yield, but also the um, I'd like to see a higher return on equity on this business to warrant that kind of multiple, which I'm not seeing. Uh, but look, it's been, like I said, great. If you got it, you hold it. Uh, but I wouldn't be a buyer, sort of, certainly not at these levels in short. And um, yeah, just yep. that's, I mean, again, compared to what I was talking about with Grange, you know, it's just, there's no comparison between the two yep. when you okay. see content value. Uh, Rob, AUB. Yeah, look, um, it's a very solid uptrend, and we'd be happy to accumulate it on on a pullback. But we would need to see some weakness before getting involved. You know, as David said, you know, we've got the price earnings uh, multiple here being about uh, a 33% premium to the rest of the names in that sector. Um, that being said, they have so far been very consistent with their uh, delivery of, of growth in, in revenue and uh, EBITDA and NPATs. Um, you know, over the last five years, we're seeing uh, you know, 9% on average increase in revenue, 10% in EBITDA, uh, sorry, sorry, 19% uh, in EBITDA and uh, 8% in NPATs. So uh, they are doing well. Uh, there is consistent growth. And the, the latest year, the growth rates were actually ahead of their five-year average. So, um, you know, that's why they're in a nice uptrend. Uh, I'd be happy to pick some up, but I would want to see some kind of weakness before I stepped in. Okay. All right. All right, gents. Thank you for that. Uh, really appreciate your time on kicking off the, the week here on the call. Rob Callup from Macro. Uh, appreciate it, sir. Thank you. And uh, David Novak from Wealthwise Education, likewise. Thanks for joining us. Thank Thanks, you. David. Thanks, David. Good on you guys. Let's just uh, recap the uh, the final five stocks. Blue bet uh, a no from... Uh, uh, from both Rob and Dave. Rob does like points bet though. Uh, Wham Leaders, a no. Uh, Iron Gate, a no from both of them. Uh, Rob prefers Centuria or Goodman. Um, IOOF, a no from Rob, a hold from uh, David, and he's, um, he's watching it because it's uh, uh, on a pullback, would look quite interesting, and seeing how funds under management flow through after the acquisition of the MLC business. Uh, AUB, certainly a hold from both of them if you've got it, but wouldn't be buying at these levels. Now, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to have a look at, um, flick them in an email to us, uh, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Uh, you can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, don't forget, uh, catch up with everything that's been happening during the day in terms of startups and business and markets. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter. You get Scuddy's View. You get a link to the Close of Business podcast and also links to the post most popular interviews on the platform during the day. <laughs>
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.